Good morning. Hey, I'm glad you're here today, and uh, we're in the book of Galatians. So if you're, you've been with us a while, you know uh, this is our fifth week studying uh, the New Testament letter to the Galatians. And if you're new, this is a book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches. And it was a group of churches that uh, had believed the gospel, had believed uh, in Jesus and him alone for their salvation uh, by faith, totally in his grace, And that somewhere along the lines, this other group of people came in and started saying, uh, yeah, but that's not enough. See, if you're really going to be pleasing to God, it's not just simply believing, but it's also then uh, becoming Jewish, uh, in essence, really, in that day, and and following all of these other rules as well. That somehow, yeah, sure, Jesus earns your redemption, but you need to earn everything else. You need to earn your sanctification. You need to earn your glorification. And uh, this is a group of people who I think truly believed the gospel and had truly trusted Jesus, yet they started believing uh, it was Jesus and these other things. They were young believers, and uh, someone had taught them wrongly. And so Paul's writing to them with a little bit of attitude, saying, I cannot believe uh, how foolish you are that you abandoned the gospel that you heard. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul really starts to articulate the whole crux of his argument and his beef with the churches in the region of Galatia. Let me start reading, and then we'll pray. I'll read through the passage for today. We'll pray, and then we'll dive into it together. So chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. So you can see his uh, frustration with them right away. That word foolish, uh, if this was just written in English, you know what it would probably say, not you foolish people? And say, you stupid idiots. That's, that's honestly, that's the term there. It means stupid. It means idiot. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through him. Let me pray and then we're going to unpack this this passage this morning as best we can. Father, thank you for Jesus. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that uh, he's, as we read in Hebrews this morning already, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
that we come to faith by hearing, we receive the Spirit by hearing and believing by faith. And in the same way, that's how we'll make it to the end, is simply by faith. Lord, uh, make it clear this morning that we need the gospel for all of our life, not just the beginning of the Christian life. Help my words be clear. Let them be your words. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Would you uh, keep him from, uh, uh, from accusing us, from uh, whispering false things to us, and instead teach us the word rightly, that we might live and be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, to be bewitched means to be fascinated or enchanted. Or uh, He's kind of saying, uh, who cast a spell on you? That you started believing something other than what you first believed. See, uh, it was before your eyes, Paul says, that Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus was, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul's not talking about a literal picture to the Galatians, right? They weren't there at the crucifixion. Maybe a couple of them were there, but I don't think uh, all of them certainly weren't. Uh, but, but he's talking about th- th- that word publicly. If you have the NIV, it might say clearly. And it's this idea of, of clearly or uh, vividly um, or graphically who, who is vividly portrayed as crucified. See, Paul's not talking about a literal picture, but a metaphorical one. He's talking about them having heard the gospel that he preached vividly. He's like, you heard the gospel preached, right? Like, you, like I laid it out so clear for you. I laid it out so clear. And, and Paul says this often uh, in, his, in his writing. Like, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, he writes to them, he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. He'll go on later in that, that book and uh, the letter to the church in Corinth. He says, when I came to you, brothers, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God uh, with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided... I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How cool would it be to have Paul preach? To have Paul up here uh, preaching to us. When Paul preached the word, it wasn't dry. When he preached the word, you didn't get bored. When he preached the word, it was vivid and it was clear. And uh, there was something to where the Holy Spirit would work. And it wasn't just vivid in your mind, but it was vivid in your heart. And it would connect with you emotionally. By God's grace, uh, let's pray that, that I and whoever else is preaching and teaching here, Pastor Kirk, Pastor Dan, that we can do that. And any of you, as you teach, maybe in your 110 groups or elsewhere, um, that we don't bore people with God's word. Amen? Paul's like, uh, we saw it, you saw it publicly portrayed, vividly portrayed. And you know, that's, that's really how it all starts. Uh, when Paul preached the word, uh, it was clear and vivid. He doesn't start, notice, he doesn't start with uh, how we should live. Um, well, nothing's wanting to work today. My iPad's shutting down. All right, well, let's go. Here we go. Galatians chapter 3, right? Uh, Paul doesn't start uh, with... Uh, with what we should do, he starts in, in, uh, in verse, verse 1, he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
And he goes on and he says, let me ask you then only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, that's, friends, that's the crux of the matter. Did, did, you, did you receive the Spirit by doing enough good things that suddenly you got the Spirit? Or did you simply believe in faith? And then God gave you his Spirit. Well, why then do you now insist on being perfected by the flesh? How come if you started by faith, you decided somehow that wasn't good enough and now I've got to do it all? And that's the main question. And then he asks, altogether, he asks five rhetorical questions. And it's all building back to this one. He says, uh, um, are you so foolish? There's There's actually number two. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Paul's uh, writing to them and challenging them, listen, if you started by faith, you need to continue by faith. Last week we talked about our justification, uh, our justification meaning our being declared righteous by God. He said that this comes uh, by faith. We received the Spirit by faith. Paul says uh, to the Romans, he says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, God wrote it all down. We get it from his word. And through faith. But then he says, having begun by faith, are you trying to perfect yourself by the flesh or by human effort? I wonder, I have a question. How are you trying to perfect or complete yourself? How are you doing that? Because we all tend to try to do that. Uh, whether that's in terms of finding an identity just in life in general or in our Christian walk. We're, we're, we're trying to do that some maybe by just living a moral life, doing good enough. Uh, maybe it's by climbing the corporate or vocational ladder. Maybe it's relationally, getting to know the right people, right? It's not, it's not uh, what you know, it's who you know, right? So you're trying to get to know all the right people and complete your life in this way. And, and Paul says, why are you doing all this by human effort? Why don't you trust Jesus in faith in the same way that you came to faith, the same way you were justified? See, faith leads, leads to receiving the Spirit. Works lead to a curse, Too often we think we're saved by the gospel, but then somehow uh, we grow solely by human effort. That somehow the only way you're going to grow is if you just do enough good things. You know, if you get up early enough and read enough of scripture and pray long enough, that if you do, 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 do enough, somehow God will be pleased with you and you'll grow. Did you receive your faith that way? So how are you going to grow in that way? Um, The truth is that you grow not by human effort, but by applying the gospel to every aspect of your life, not just the beginning of your Christian life, but every day thereafter, which is an easy thing to say, but how do you do that practically? Well, it's it's remembering to repent of my sin and turn to the Lord when I sin. You know, uh, to look to the gospel then when I'm trying to, to overcome something in my life. You know, you shouldn't just say, uh, Lord, I have, a, I have a problem with anger. So I'm going to try really hard not to be angry and grow in my faith. Right? Uh, please, you know, you, just, you pray, please just take it away. Take it away. Take it away by your power. Just please take it away. Help me. Or maybe it's forgiveness. Help me to forgive. Help me forgive. You know, really what you need to do at that point is if you're struggling with something, you should start applying the gospel to it. And rather than asking for more strength just to, to change yourself, ask, uh, 
look back to the gospel, Paul would tell you that, you know, that uncontrolled anger is from not living in step with the gospel. That bitterness and lack of forgiveness comes from not living in line with the gospel. It means that though we began with Jesus as Savior, something has become our functional Savior in place of him. And instead of believing that God is our hope and our goodness, we've, a lot of times anger is just about control. You know, I, I just, I want control. I want to be in charge. I don't, why don't they do it the way I would do it? <laughs> right? So how do I apply the gospel to that? Well, uh, Josh, you're not in control to begin with. Your salvation is all about Jesus, not about you. So maybe you need to trust uh, God's goodness today and his faithfulness today in these areas that you're angry about. You see? You start applying the gospel to everyday life. Instead of just hoping God will remove it, we, we repent just like we did at the beginning and trust God to change us and, and repent and turn from our functional saviors. Uh, if you want another real practical one, I've got two of these up here. And if you want one, come see me afterwards. I'll give it to you. This is a cool little devotional called Note to Self. It's by a guy, uh, he's a pastor in St. Louis named Joe Thorne. And uh, he's a big, bald guy. He's all tatted up and uh, has quite, quite a ministry to people, but he writes this note to self. And I'll just, I'll read one of them to you. And basically he's just, he's preaching the gospel to himself. And uh, maybe I thought this one was good. Uh, and maybe even a reminder for us today as we think about living out our faith. He says, dear self, like the Israel of old, you tend to forget the most basic things, important things. You need constant reminders and what you've been gleaning from others is not enough. You, you need to find ways to remind yourself about the things that matter because when you aren't intentionally setting the truth before yourself, you forget it. You forget that before you knew Jesus, you were a slave to sin, a child of wrath, a dead man walking. And remembering these truths promotes humility in yourself and dependence on God. You forget that in Jesus, you are his disciple, a child of God, a new creation. And remembering these truths creates gratitude and optimism. So you forget that you're made for the glory of God and the good of your neighbors. And remembering these truths gives you purpose and passion. You forget that you're sent to make Christ known and to make disciples. And remembering these truths help you see your need to be organically connected to the local church as well as the community God has sent you to. Without reminders, you'll forget all of this and much more. And when you forget these things, you get into trouble. This means you must do better than just build a robust theology. You, you will have to exercise it. It demands setting that theology before yourself frequently. Israel created memorial stones to remind them of the person and work of God. One of the primary ways you'll remember the truth is by preaching it to yourself regularly. And he goes on, and do you realize that you're doing it right now? You're reminding yourself of the need to preach to yourself to remind yourself and to not forget your God, remember your God and his wonderful works. I just think that's really good. To remember the gospel every day, not just on the first day, but every day. That's the point of the Christian life. Now, the Christian life uh, is one of um, basically uh, three stages. I'm gonna, let me keep reading through verse six and, and we'll talk about this. Um, he said, do, do you suffer so many things in vain? He's asking his questions if indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Paul, starting right here through the rest of this passage, quotes the Old Testament six times, beginning here with Abraham. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, he believes God. And in verse 6, it says, because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Not because he did all these right things, but because he believed God. It was counted to him. And here's, here's Paul's point by referencing Abraham, and we're going to come back to look at his life in a moment. But uh, Paul's point is this. Not only are you justified by faith, in other words, declared right, but you are also sanctified by faith. We've, we've already covered this this morning, but that's the point. Not only are you justified by faith, you're also sanctified by faith. Don't think that you can come to faith in Jesus and then just try to do it all yourself. It'll never work. Uh, there's three stages of the Christian life. Justification, where I'm declared righteous, and that's the work of the gospel in the beginning of, of my walk with the Lord. And then there's sanctification, where I'm made holy, where over time, that's the work of the gospel that's ongoing in my life, where it's making me more and more like Jesus until finally, one day, Jesus is gonna come back and uh, I'm going to be glorified, glorification, where all sin is finally removed. So let, let me try to illustrate this a little bit. Uh, Tim, would you, do you mind helping me? Tim, I'm gonna have you stand right here. Or we can, we can stay down here maybe, just on the step. Uh, Tim, you're Jesus. Okay. <laughs> what do you think about that, Robin? No? Well, for, for, today, for today, you're Jesus. Um, I need somebody over here, too, to come help. Right, Randy, you want to help? That's what you get for sitting in the front row. That's right. Randy, uh, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. So... Uh, <laughs> You, you represent Hitler. Yeah. You're not him, but you yeah. represent him. Now, this, this is an illustration R.C. Sproul used to do with his students. And he would talk about the fact that Jesus is totally perfect. And then you think of the opposite of that. You think of a guy like Hitler. Well, uh, when we're justified, we're declared righteous. We're, his righteousness is counted to us, but we're still sinners, and so sanctification is this process then of becoming more and more like Jesus. So uh, Tom, why don't you come up with me? Uh, Tom uh, is, of course, uh, he helped one of the original people here in our church and original pastor, preacher. Doesn't want to get too close to Randy over there. Now, Tom, uh, Tom is, is definitely a very, uh, very good man and far along in his sanctification. But um, you're not going to represent your own sanctification, but the Apostle Paul, who might have been maybe the most holy person next to Jesus. Now, where do you think, uh, where do you think uh, Paul would rank on this spectrum, the most, most sanctified person of all? Where would, where would he go? Yeah, come, come down here. Paul, for all the gains that he made in his sanctification, a little closer, I think. He's, he's, about, he's about right here. Now look at the gap. Human effort, if Paul, by the work of the Spirit, got this far, how can you, by human effort, get anywhere close to where God has designed for you to get? Now, the good thing is that when you're justified, you're declared righteous, so God sees you as that, but the reality is you're still sinful, you're still here. And in your sanctification, it's a slow process, but by God's grace, glorification is coming. 
And when Jesus returns, uh, you're going to be like him. And that's when the full separation happens. Amen? Amen. Is that helpful? Those are the three stages of the Christian life. Thanks, guys. Um, And yeah, give him a hand. (laughs) Randy gets to go over there. I don't know if Adolf does. But you'll, you'll, you'll get to be there for sure, Randy, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And friends, that's kind of Paul's point is you could never get to Jesus to be saved and you can never get there on your own in terms of your sanctification. So why, if you started by faith, would you continue by human effort? And this whole idea, I mentioned you need to to preach the gospel to yourself, maybe a devotional like this or remembering God's goodness to you is because it keeps your eyes on Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens as you grow. I want to show you this chart. As, as after you become a Christian, time's going along. This comes from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. Uh, time is going along and there's a point of conversion in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ and actually become a Christian. And from this point forward, a couple things happen in your life. Uh, first, you begin growing in your awareness of God's holiness. You see him as more and more holy as you grow in your faith, but you also see something else you'll also begin to see the depth of your own wickedness. God becomes more and more holy in your sight. Now he's still as holy as he ever was, but in your sight. And you become more and more wicked in your sight. You you are always that wicked. And so what you need to do to avoid despair is, is always look back to the cross. And then as you go forward, the cross becomes bigger. The gospel becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. And it's a gospel-centered life. It's relying on faith for your sanctification. Because see, here's what happens. Here's the opposite. You, you come to faith, and the cross is about the same size as it was for somebody who lives a gospel-centered life. But, but you tend to shrink the cross because then you begin just doing works of your own effort to try to to make up that gap that you begin to perceive, which was always there. And it leads to despair. And you can never do it. And Paul says you need faith to grow just like you needed faith to be saved. So continue to apply the gospel to your life every day. The gospel isn't just for the beginning of the Christian life, but for all of it. So as Paul goes on then, uh, beginning at the end of, in verse 6 and through the end of this passage, through verse 14, he gives us the example of a guy named Abraham. And he says this, he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice in verse 6, just even before we get going, he's quoting again from Genesis 15, that it doesn't say Abraham believed in God. What does it say? He believed God. There's a big difference. There's a, the demons believe in God. Do you believe in God only or do you actually believe him and believe his word and what he says? See, that, that's, that's what a gospel-centered life looks like. It's believing God's promises and trusting them and, and what he said, not just believing in him. A lot of people believe in God. People who aren't Christians believe in God. But Abraham, look, it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God. He trusted him. 
And uh, if you don't know about Abraham, let me just give you the background of his story. Abraham was a guy who lived to be about uh, 70 years old before uh, God uh, spoke to him. And he said, Abraham, in chapter 12 of Genesis, I want you to get up, go from your country and your kindred, and go to a land that I will show you. 70 years old, he doesn't tell Abraham where he's going, he just says, get up and go, I'll show you along the way. What's Abraham do? He gets up and he goes, which couldn't have been easy at the age of 70. And and he gets going, and uh, eventually God says, uh, Abraham, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give, I'm going to make of you a great nation, I'm going to give you a great land for your descendants, and and I'm going to bless the entire world through you. I'm going to bless all the nations because of you, he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And Abraham, Abram still at that time, believed God and followed. He says, I'm going to make your descendants so numerous, he gets in chapter 15, that uh, if, look up at the stars, Abraham. Can you count them? And by this point now, uh, in chapter 15, I believe Abraham is uh, closer to 100 now than he is 70, and he still has no children. And God says, I'm going to give you so many, that, so many descendants that you can't count them, just like you can't count the stars. How many of you, if you're pushing 100 and you've had no kids, your wife is barren, you're like, <laughs> sure, God. That's actually what his wife Sarah does. She laughs at him. But Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not, not anything he had done, but simply his belief. So that's the example of Abraham. God makes a covenant with him, and he says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. He says, know then, Paul, coming back to Galatians in verse 7, he says, know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He's making a point here. It's not the people who are Jews by birth, but those who by faith become sons of Abraham. Do you ever sing that song as a kid in school, in Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, you're not moving, right? Um, We could go through it all, right arm, left arm, right foot, wake you up. But that's where it comes from, that those by faith are the sons of Abraham, His descendants are going to come physically, but they're also going to come by faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. He's quoting there from Genesis 12, verse 3. This verse is huge. In you, all nations, not just Abraham, not just your physical descendants, but all nations will be blessed because of you. God's plan from the very beginning was that anyone who would believe in faith would be saved. And that was his plan from the very beginning, right here, that all nations shall be blessed. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, he says, look, Abraham's righteousness didn't come from the fact that he was Jewish. It came because he believed God. And those who will be blessed through him, all nations will be blessed through him, not because of their good works or because of their heritage, but because they too believe God. So then, verse 9, he says, uh, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He doesn't say the father of the Jews. He says the man of faith. That's his identity. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Quoting from Deuteronomy there. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written. See, here's the deal. If you're, if you're trying to either be saved by good works or be sanctified simply by your good works, 
Guess how many of, how much of the law you have to obey? All of it. And how do you have to obey it? Perfectly. So how many times can you screw up? You tapped out like when you were about six months old, right? You're like, this is done. I'm done. I've got no chance. It's over. See, uh, you're under, you're cursed. You can't do it. Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, Paul says it's evident. It's, it's, so, it's so clear. No one is justified before God by the law. No one can do that, he says. It's so clear. Uh, for the righteous shall live by faith. Quoting from Habakkuk there. To live by faith. That kind of comes back to our question earlier. What, are, what is it for you that you're trying to uh, complete yourself with, to be perfected by? What do you live by? Do you, do you live by good works? Do you live by finding your identity in, in what you do and how you look and where you're from? Or is it by faith in Jesus Christ? He's your, he's your only hope, friends. He's your only hope. See, the, the, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law, it's not of faith. See, works aren't of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. You're, you're judged by them, in other words. He's quoting from Leviticus 18. But then in verse 13, here, here's, the, here's the whole crux of the whole thing. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 21 now. And uh, in the Old Testament, when a person was executed, it was usually by stoning. But then what they would do after they executed them is they would hang them on a tree for all to see. And them being hung on a tree wasn't um, because they were cursed. It was a sign of them having been cursed. Uh, He wasn't cursed because he was hung there. He was hung there because uh, he had become a curse. So he's thinking about Jesus dying on the cross and hanging on a tree. Well, why did he hang on that tree? It was a sign of the fact that he had been cursed. A sign of the fact that, like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, um, where he said, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a stunning claim of what regards uh, what happens to us regarding when we believe. If, if Jesus became a sinner for us, then, he, then we became righteous in the same way. If his taking the curse means that he was regarded as a sinner, then him taking the curse from us means we're regarded as righteous. He became sin. Do you get that? See, you and I are sin. Under our works, under the law, we can never, ever, ever do enough. We're cursed. And yet Jesus on the cross became sin. He became cursed so that through him, all who believe in him would be saved. He, he, he took the curse, he put it on himself, and he died on the cross in my place and in your place. When Paul says that he became sin, uh, really, do you know what's happening? Jesus on the cross is cursed. He, he becomes the murderer. He becomes the pedophile. He, he becomes the addict. He becomes sin so that we who are sinful would become righteous. 
We give him all of that garbage in our lives and he takes it on himself and dies in our place, a perfect substitute. And then his righteousness is imputed, is given, credited, accounted to us. Friends, that's the gospel. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, in other words, to all people, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To quote Paul from Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Friends, the entirety of the Christian life, start to finish, is one of faith. You didn't get saved by good works. You were saved by believing God. Your righteousness was credited to you in the same way it was credited to Abraham, by believing God. And your growth now, you've been, you've been justified, you've been declared righteous, but now uh, there's some sanctification that needs to happen in your life and in mine, right? Um, but uh, you're not there yet. You need faith to, to live that life as well. You might think of it like this. Imagine if you won the lottery tomorrow and you won $25 million dollars. Yeah, let's make it more than that. Let's say 500 million. You're set, right? But here's the deal. It's been credited to you. You're rich. But guess what? You still have those old patterns of poverty that you've lived by for so long that need to be rid of or uh, that, that wealth is gonna do you no good. And, and so in the same way, it's been credited to you, but now you need the spirit to help you walk with Jesus and grow in your faith. So Practically what this means, friends, is um, not that you shouldn't strive to be holy, but that you should quit striving to do it in your own strength. Quit beating yourself up for all your failures. They've been paid on the cross, past, present, future. Quit finding your identity in what you do and find it in what Jesus has done for you. You've been saved by faith. Why would you continue on in human effort? Continue on in faith and in joy. And friends, that's the sweetness of freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're gonna take our offering, uh, we're gonna sing, and we're gonna call it a morning. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, um, Jesus, your grace to us is, is very real. It is completely unearned by us and, and totally a gift of yours. And just as we're saved by that grace, Father, we're also sanctified by that grace. That, that we need the gospel day in, day out, hour to hour, to be reminded, uh, Jesus, of what you've done for us, of who we are, and of uh, your goodness. I pray for each one here, Lord. I pray for those who've maybe never been justified. They've never turned to you in faith and trusted you. That, Jesus, today they would. And that for those uh, who have trusted you, Lord, that you would free them from the bondage of feeling like they have to continually measure up. We never measured up to begin with. We'll never measure up until you glorify us. And so our only hope is to continue to look to the gospel for our hope. Remind us of that truth, Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen.